this evening's message is you belong to another you belong to another uh, our reading scripture opens up the chapter 59th chapter of Isaiah the 20th verse and it says and the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob saith the Lord so here this is the Messiah being promised to the people of Zion, and that's to the church uh, what the prophet is looking at in latter days. He's talking about the church, not just uh, those in the Zion called Jerusalem, but he's talking about the church that was redeemed, that God had given unto Jesus Christ. He gave a certain number of unto Jesus Christ that was going to be saved. And that those were the ones that he died for. Those are the ones he had redeemed. In other words, those are the ones he bought back. We used the expression Sunday, the purchase possession. We're, we belong to somebody else. We belong to the one who had bought us. He bought us off the slave market. We were condemned. And he bought us back. Uh, and when he buys us back, those that he does buy back through the preaching of the gospel to what, whatever means he used to make us aware that we belong to him, it's a strong belief in him in the Old Testament, but we see it's by faith in the New Testament, the seed of faith, the word of God. But it was such a strong belief and a trust in the Old Testament that the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Job, and that's what we believe is the earliest book in the Old Testament was the book of Job. The ninth chapter of Job in the 25th verse, it says, For I know that my Redeemer and Vindicator, I know my Redeemer lives, and at last he will take a stand upon the earth. The King James reads, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So he knew, he talks about, it has to be a resurrection in which he and his body, in his fleshly body, that he would see God that he would stand before God, that's the one that will vindicate Job through all of this that he had went through. That's what the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, responsibility was to avenge the wrongs did to those he redeemed. It wasn't always from death, but as our redeemer, that's one of his purposes for coming was to redeem us from death because all of was all of us was consigned to death. And unless he redeemed you, you have no life in you that you're still consigned to death. There's an obligation. That's one of the reasons we take Passover. In the book of Exodus, the thirteenth chapter and the fourteenth to the sixteenth verse, I think we talked about it, about when your sons and daughters ask, Why were we doing the Passover? And it says, and it shall be when your sons ask you in the time to come, saying, what does this mean? 
You shall say to him with a strong and powerful hand, The Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage and slavery. So Pharaoh had us in Egypt and slavery, and he used the the country of the nation of Egypt to show they paid a a horrible, a tremendous price for God to use as an example. Because remember he told Pharaoh that that was the purpose he had reared Pharaoh up. He had raised Pharaoh up was to destroy him, for was to see his destruction and showed the power of God, and he redeemed us. And that was a horrible, a hard price that the Egyptians paid, that all of their firstborn died. The killings of the Egyptians' firstborn, freedom for the Israelites was the devastation of the land of Egypt. And all of this happened to buy Israel back from slavery, Egypt had enslaved them. Egypt is a type of sin, a type of the world. In this latter day, it's going to be Babylon that God brings us out of. He calls us out of Babylon, but the redemption is by a call. It's by the word of God. You remember I told you by the preaching of the word of God. So there's a different means whereby he brings us out this time, it's still going to be by divine intervention. It's going to be about a, a his powerful hand. We see that it says his strong arm. He says, uh, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one or no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It, it, it sustained him. So we see the Messiah acting as a redeemer for those that didn't have someone to buy them from the slave market, from this bondage to sin, bondage to life, bondage to the servitude that they were in. God designed this redemption and this Passover, this memorial, to show them it'd be a memorial for the high price that he had to pay for their redemption. Whereas... The Passover in the New Testament, as we observe, he says that memorial that we observe in the New Testament, the eating of the table, the drinking of the wine, and the eating of the broken bread, which was his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. So his death, he paid a mighty high price for our freedom, for our liberty. It was his life. That was the purchase price, his blood. It was by the blood that redemption came. So that Redeemer is known to all, even to the Egyptians. We see that God made this restoration back in the book of Isaiah, the 19th chapter, the 18th to the 25th verse, that it wasn't a perpetual uh, forfeiting of Egypt to to desolation that God would restore. God would bring Egypt back. He would bring all nations back. All nations would culminate in in Abraham. Abraham was the father of all nations and so that's all people, not just Israel or the Jews or whatever, but that all nations would be saved. So in Isaiah 19, 18-25 it says in that day five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of the Hebrews, that is, of the Canaanites. Uh, for 
and follow the Lord Almighty and will begin to speak the Hebrew language that is not the language of the Hebrew, but the Word of God, the language of God. They would be all saying the same thing. We see in verse 21 of Isaiah 59 and 21 it says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thine mouth nor out of the mouth of thine seed, nor out of the mouth of thine seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. This one language that the whole earth will be one language, under one language is the word of God. Yes. Not necessarily dialects, but the word of God. So it still may be Spanish speaking, French speaking, or whatever nation speaking, whatever languages they be speaking, but it would be the same thing. Mm -hmm. The gospel is universal. Yes. That the, the Catholic, in other words, is universal. It's the word of God. It wouldn't be a different word. It calls us out of Babylon a confusion of language as in the Old Testament Babel, but everybody would be coming together as one worship in the, of the Lord. Yes. It, it's under Jesus Christ. It's all in Christ serving that one God. It says, one of these will be Heliopolis, the city of the sun. Heliopolis, the city of the sun. And there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt in those days and a monument to the Lord at its border. This will be for a sign of loyalty to the Lord Almighty. Then when they cried to the Lord for help against those who oppressed them, he will send them a savior and he shall deliver them. Uh, he shall deliver them. In that day, the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Yes, they will know the Lord and give their sacrifices and offerings to him. They will make promises to God and keep them. The Lord will smite Egypt and then restore her. For the Egyptians will turn to the Lord, and he will listen to their plea and heal them. And that day, Egypt and Iraq will be connected by a highway. And the Egyptians and the Iraqis will move freely back and forth between their lands, and they shall worship the same God. Yes. And Israel will be their ally. The three will be together, and Israel be, will be a blessing to them. For the Lord will bless Egypt and Iraq because of their friendship with Israel. He will say, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Blessed be Iraq, the land I have made. Blessed be Israel, my inheritance. So God will even things out as though it shows here in uh, Isaiah 19, 18-25. Then Egypt will once again be a great nation. The redeeming, redeeming of Israel's firstborn was to serve as a costly reminder, and God gives us signs to remind us of things, a memorial, or sometime a perpetual memorial, and forgetfulness produces ingratitude, and that's what happens. Like I said, many are marriages where the spouse misuses the other spouse or take the other spouse for granted. They change from when they first marry or whatever. They begin to be rebellious, unthankful, uncourteous to one another, misusing one another. 
But God is our Messiah. He comes in and he rectifies that situation. That's why it says one will be taken and one will be left. Because it the reason I said divine intervention, because there are a lot of men and women are in married lousy marriages. There are some that are eunuchs or maybe live alone or don't have children or whatever. And God says her that didn't have any children will have many children. Her that had a multitude of children, he'll destroy her and throw the children in a bed of death. So God is the avenger. God is the goel, the redeemer of his people. Just like Ruth, when she abandoned her people in Moab, it says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She clung to Naomi. And so just the childless and the barren will be fruitful. A lot of the smaller churches now will be fruitful churches and people will come in learning of the Lord. They'll have plenty. A lot of the churches that have the multitude of the ones that went the broad way will be destroyed. They'll be burned. Those are the ones that left the Lord. So our Redeemer is strong and he's going to show his self strong in the latter days and there's going to be a restoration. There's going to be a re-inhabitation of the earth. So see what we must listen at the voice of our Redeemer and stand strong. And those that's mistreating us, those that we don't have the power, the knowledge, or we too naive or passive, passive to do anything, but we still do good and follow the Lord or whatever. He's going to rectify all of these situations because he says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Amen. Obligation. So those of us who are that way, who had been redeemed, there's a spirit of servanthood of servitude that enters those who have been redeemed. It's something that God brings about. It's a humbling. It's not obligatory like a lot of people. You can use the word obligatory or obligative, but it's not that you're obligated. You feel that that's your reasonable reasonable service is to present yourself unto God as that sacrifice you become just like Jesus a servant a goel a redeemer of your other people you serve other people you no longer serve yourself because what you're dying to self you present your body just like Jesus presented his body God had given him a body and that body was for service John 15 Chapter 13 through the 15 verse says, No one uh, has greater love or no strong commitment than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. And I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends because I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. He goes on from that 15th chapter to the 17th chapter talking about that he had given us his word and that through that word, if we continue in that word, 
then are we his disciples. We're his followers. We become his friends. We're servants. We're bond servants with him. But along with that comes co-heirship. We're co-heirs with Christ because he's one like us. He He was made like us so that he could redeem us. That's why we die to self so that we could help in this redemption. We become little lights. As he was a light unto the world, we become lights unto the world. It's doing the will of the Father. We're born again. When you say you are born again, when you have a new life, where you no, you no longer live for self, you lose your life. He increases and you decrease. John 15, 13 through 15 represents us with an interesting and exciting expansion of our place within our relationship with Christ. Redemption at first glance elevates us from being a slave of unrighteousness and to Satan to being a slave and a righteousness to Jesus Christ. Now we are his servants. We're servants of who we yield our bodies to. But by being born again of his spirit, that gives us power to become the sons of God through faith. We trust in him. The one that had redeemed us, our Goel, our groomsman, the one that we are married, we are becoming one with him, being made in his image and his likeness. Yet here Christ elevates us also to the point Whereas of an unimaginable height to say we are friends, we are his friends because now he's going to communicate to us everything that he's doing. It's going to be at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's going to be within us. The Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Ghost, which he's going to send in his name, is going to dwell with us. He's going to cause it to make it able where the Father and Son comes in and dwell within us and live within us and makes himself our home, a home within us. We no longer live, but it's Christ in us and we die to self. We die to self. Our body is no longer our body. That's why I say we belong to another. Our body is no longer ours. We belong to someone else. In many cases, our understanding and therefore our appreciation of this falls way short of what it should be. We should have higher expectations in a different outlook once we're born again, once we're redeemed. That that redemption comes to he justifies us, that justification. I tell you, all of this was a process, but the justification is a one-time thing what you feel and you see there's there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He removes our guilt, our sin guilt. It's all laid up on him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So as he's our master, he gives us his yoke. We take his yoke upon him and we learn of him. He's our master. Learn what the master desires and what the master wants. That's what we want to do. Learn to please our master. Few of us, uh, none of us have known either the depths of actual physical slavery to another individual, but we have seen, experienced bondage to sin. 
bondage to the world, bondage to things. God loosens us and sometimes we don't know what to do with the liberty of the freedom that he's given us. We have to get an understanding from God where is this all coming from. Now in ancient Rome, the friends of Caesar, Caesar had greater access to Caesar than any governmental counselors or any military advisors to be in his circle, to be called his friends, you would get hysterically close to the leader of that powerful nation. So here we are where Jesus calls us friends, someone that's actually close to him that he had died for us. This is a man now. He, he came as a man, so when a man says this, that we can have a relationship that a slave would never have. A slave never receives a reason for the work assigned him. He simply must do it because he has no other choice. However, a friend of Christ is a confidant of the one in power who shares in the knowledge of his purpose. He starts opening up our understanding to understand what it is he's doing and why he's doing it and how he's doing it. That's why he given us the one of the tools he's given us is a prayer. Yes. That we pray for knowledge. We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. All of this we can go to the throne of grace and petition the Father because now why? He had even given us this tile of adoption to whereby now we can cry our Father, which is our Father. And that's why I told you that our Father prayer is not for everyone. It's for those that had been born again those that are part of his family. Yes. Everybody's not entitled, though, even a lot of people pray that prayer. Yes. God is not their father. Mm. All souls belong to God, but not in the sense that they are born again. They're part of his spiritual family now, that they're co-heirs with Christ. At first, our obligation rests upon the fact of Jesus giving himself as a price for our spiritual redemption from slavery and from death. The reason I say slavery and death because we're in bondage to the things of the world and he frees us through a process of bondage to those things and that way others see us free and that anointing that breaks the yoke helps to break others free. Helps to unyoke others because he has says go forth making disciples and teaching them all that I have commanded you. If we have any sense at all, any discernment of what he has rescued us from and what he has given us the opportunity to possess, yeah. our sense of gratitude should explode into zeal. It should become something that motivates and drives you because you realize of the treasure that he's placed in an earthen vessel. Yes. Remember he told Peter, he says, Peter, how would you like to have that which you say? You, you possess the power to have that which you say. Those 70 disciples, he gave the opportunity to go around healing the sick and casting out devils. He even allowed Judas this privilege, and Judas wasn't, he was numbered among them, but he was a devil. So you, we could see where there'll be many among the church, but many of them 
that won't finish with the church, that Jesus just allowing to go along, and the disciples found out that he says they were not of us because if they were of us, they'd have continued with us. That's why a lot of churches divide and split away. Our sense of obligation is further built and strengthened by the knowledge that we have been specifically called a summon and appointed to share an intimate, loving family relationship and friendship that he sustains through his office as high priest. The high priest would remain forever. This is a high priest that would never die. He's able to continue to make intercession for us. In the old days, even if you murdered someone and you ran to a city of refuge, your life was safe as long as you remain inside that city of refuge and the high priest liveth. And see, he's our high priest that liveth forever. So he's ever able to intercede and says, Father, that's one of the ones I died for. That's why if any man sin, if anything go on, we have an advocate with the Father who pleads our case. If we have any sense of gratitude for his work in intervening, leading, guiding, correcting, and perfecting our character so that we produce much fruit and love one another, our sense of obligation will be further stirred to ensure that we do not let him down in any of these areas that that gratitude shows that we have a teacher, the the Holy Spirit that he's given us, which is a helper. It's a comforter. It's going to intervene. It's going to intercede. It's going to lead and guide us and correct us. That's why he told the the angel, the messenger angel that he was sending with them in the wilderness, be careful because his word was in him. In that he's not going to tolerate your sin. He's not going to trans- tolerate your trans- transgressing of him. Yes. He would chasten you even up to death. Yes. It's going to punish you. We will always strive to glorify God. That's a motivating thing to realize that that catalyst that's in us, yes. that's turning and spinning, the w- that's a new nature that's living in us and we, it drives us to help put the old man to death. Yes. Because we delight after God. We delight in God after the inward, the new man, after that new nature. Yes. We see the old nature. It's observable to see the evil, the wickedness, the depravity of what you once were. Yes. If he's redeemed you, Redemption is bringing you a delivering one from one place to another or from something. And he brought us out of sin. He, he relieved us that from being committing sin that we don't continue in sin. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace about? God forbid. So he had freed us from the servitude to sin because, as I said, he who you yield your members unto, him who you are serving of. So we don't yield our members unto unrighteousness anymore. And by his word, we know that sin and everything that's unrighteous is not who Christ are. We shouldn't have fellowship with evil works of darkness. We don't commit sin. We don't practice sin. We flee from sin. 
We call on the Father that helped deliver us from sin. We ask him to deliver us from evil. For thy kingdom is coming, and his will be done. This motivational factor is largely dependent upon feeling, but not on the sickening, sweet sentimentality of some of this world's Christianity. We can see the fight coming on. This nation have sunken to the depths of depravity and some sickenings. Some Christians are sickening. They're revulsive. They, as Hillary Clinton said, they're deplorable. Some Christians in this nation are deplorable. The character and the people and the things they, they get, they cause the name of God to be blasphemed. No wonder it's a lot of people that are falling away from Christianity because of the people that Christians embrace. That some of the Christians of this world embrace. Don't be ashamed of yourself to associate with such fallen characters. This feeling is derived from a clear understanding of what has been done and continues to be done in our behalf. Just what he has cleansed us from, what his blood purges us from, to be without a spot of blemish in that. Wow. Just what did this man do that his death did, what his life did for us. So we have to glorify him in our life, in our living. Because it wasn't just his death. It was his life because he was without sin. He was sinless. He had given us that power. He had given us that power to become sons of God. So we have to be blameless in this world. We have to walk circumspectively. This deep, heartfelt, and comprehending feeling arises in the minds of people who have firsthand experience with the suffering that sin and death brings. We can see the political, religious, secular, all of the falls in which we've seen people, not that they were, but they said that they was of certain characters of just how far how far and how depraved they were that God allowed the mass to be pulled off them and how pharisaical they were. In other words, these people are turned over to a reprobate mind. These are saints, ministers of light that has been guides that, as I was saying about God has given us a discernment to come out from among them. Come out of Babylon. Get away so you won't be partakers of their plagues because they're still preaching the gospel. They're still doing all these things. And as Paul's, as was in Paul's time, trying to add to his bonds in Christ, they are murdering and killing and lying with the tongues and with their actions and with deception because they are their father, the devil. That's what Jesus was dealing with. He said, you of your father, the devil. They were parading around as religious, but they were religious hypocrites. This is a hypocritical nation. We can see that this election coming up doesn't mean really anything to the Christian, but that God has shown himself that he's about to close this this age down, that this world, the foundations have been destroyed. It's no more building back. Babylon, we can proclaim as in the prophets, the preachers in the book of Revelation, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Yes. 
You can't build that back up that's fallen. It's just like when Judas and Jesus says, woe be unto you. Judas wasn't coming back from that. That was a stated axiom. That was going to be a fact. He was a devil. You didn't see him trying to, Jesus trying to retrieve the Pharisees. They were what they were. They were the seed of the devil. There's two seeds within the earth. They know in their heart of hearts that they are guilty of rebellion against this wonderful personality who created us, who died for us, and continues to be our friend through thick and thin, even though Judas went away and killed himself in remorse and tried to repent. He still was a devil. It was secular remorse. It was remorse as Esau cried, but repentance was not found. They may be repenting and remorseful because they've been found out. There are a lot of people that die in depravity and sin, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. They hadn't been changed. It says even the devils believe and tremble. But we realize even us that had been saved from great sin or small sins or whatever sin, the magnitude of that sin grows as we grow close in a relationship with Jesus Christ, keeping us from committing any new sin or wandering further in sin that we study his word to show ourselves approved as workmen that need not be ashamed. We are redeemed from the bondage to sin. We shall not continue, but we should but overcome sin. Romans 6, 15 and 21 says, What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under God's grace? Certainly not. Paul says, God forbid. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourself to someone to do his will, you are the slave of the one who you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, that is, right standing with God. But thank God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all of your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, that is, of conformity to God's will and purpose. Now he says, I'm speaking of familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, because of your spiritual immaturity. You really don't understand that you should be further along than what you are. For just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness. So now offer your members, that is, your abilities, your talents, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, that is, being set apart for God's purposes. That's what you should be doing, moving closer toward God, abdicating everything that's in the world or of the world, every character and circumstance would taint your idly body, would taint the appearance of sin. That your inner man is growing stronger and you crucifying the old man. 
putting him in there. You it from day to day in that mirror, it's just showing you, and by faith, it's ever increasing faith that you buffet your body. You keep under it, you bring it under subjection because that body don't belong to you no more. It belongs to another, and you see this thing within your members trying to bring you under bondage. So you have to fight harder. That means you got to pray harder. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. So we see as we come to this battle as our Redeemer, we have to put on the whole arm of God. We have to pray to God every day. Go through Ephesians 6. I was listening to Charles Stanley one time years ago when I was following him. I stopped following him for some reason or cause, but in Ephesians 6 chapter, he was talking about each morning as you pray to God of putting on the whole armor of God. Notice how Jesus put this armor on, and the whole armor is not listed here, but as he's putting on this armor for this battle that he's going in, to use the arm of God, the zeal of God, to overcome and to redeem his people. That's the Messiah. It says, uh, Isaiah 59th chapter and the 17th verse, he says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation on his head, and put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Remember I told you, he's your vengeance. He's going to take vengeance. Yes. You will see people within your family and circumstances that were taking advantage of you and doing certain things. Vengeance is the Lord's, and you will see him repaying a lot of them speedily because you will pray for this retaliation. You will pray for these imprecatory prayers on some things and people that God would do a work. God's not going to do anything outside of his will. If these things are inside God's will, they will come to pass. It's just that it's motivating you. The circumstances and situations are motivating you to pray these prayers. You have to speak some things into existence. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. We have to have that going about proclaiming boldly the word of God. That's the power of God to establish you is the gospel. It's in this gospel. After your feet is shod with that, your loins girded about with the truth. The word of God, the truth. The truth of God's word. Not a twisted word, but the truth. That breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart, your vulnerable parts. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is your word of God. Study it to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. True. So you have to go to church. You have to go to Bible study. You have to study God's word. He told Timothy to study the word, which is able to make you wise unto salvation. In them you have eternal life in those words. Because if you abide in the word and the word abide in you, the word is forever. If you remain in the word, and above all, take the shield of faith. The shield of faith quenches the fiery darts of the devil. He's going to fire shots at you, take sniping shots at you, doing all kinds of things that zoom in and trying to sap you and stress you out and bring anxiety and worry into your life. 
And the shield of faith quenches those fiery dots that come from nowhere, that seemingly come out of nowhere. He says, but now, so uh, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You had no desire to, to conform to God's will. So what benefit did you get at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? None, that is. For the outcome of those things is death. The wages of sin is death. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, you have your benefit resulting in sanctification. You're sanctified. That's, that's the benefit to walking in God's word. It washes you. It cleanses you. It frees you. It gives you eternal life, whereas the wages of sin is death. Being made holy and set apart by God's purpose. And the outcome is eternal life. That's the outcome of serving God. Serving righteousness and walking in righteousness. But as I said, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. 1 John 6, 3 and 6 says, No one who abides in him who remains united in fellowship with him deliberately and knowingly and habitually sins. That is, no one that abides in Christ practices sin. Uh, The living says, um, So if we stay close to him, obedient to him, we won't be sinning either. But as for those who keep on sinning, they should realize this. They sin because they have never really known him or become his. Yes. They were never bought. Those that continue in this, it's like Judas Iscariot was. He wasn't ever bought. He was a pretender. He was a false professor. There are many of them in the church as the lay of the sins that are poor, wretched, and naked and Christ is nowhere in their hearts. It's nowhere about them. You better be careful in this nation now about who uh, you don't take them in by doubtful disputations. But what you have to do, you have to be so close to God. This is a very perilous times we're living in. Very dangerous time. Satan's people aren't afraid to come into the church. He says there are spots in your love feast. They're sitting down at the table with you. They're coming in, fellowshipping and preaching and teaching. Satan ministers has been transformed into ministers of light. But we have to stand. Those of us who want to, our sons and daughters who want to save others, we have to present our bodies as this living sacrifice. We have come into a volume of the book. We're born of a woman. Christ was born of a woman to be a redeemer, to be part of who we are. It was promised from the beginning that our redeemer would be born of a woman. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity, that is, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, her offspring, and her seed. Mm. He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. So 
He had put this image to that, but we see in this end time that we're not trying to cozy up to this thing. We're out to stomp Satan under our feet. Yes. He says, you shall shortly trample him under your feet. We have to, in this era, in this time, that death blow have to be dealt. It wasn't then, but there's a time that that scripture that Jesus, when he opened and read in the synagogues, he stopped and he didn't say, say the day of vengeance, the day of the Lord. He stopped short. But now that whole gospel is being preached. It is open unto us. Just like in the book of Daniel, he said, seal up the book until the end times, till it be revealed. And now the book of Revelation is an open book. It's being revealed. And now in this day and time that he's pouring out the bowls of wrath, you'll see in this chapter, in the next chapter, he's going to come in soaked in blood. He's going to be drenched in blood. He's going to be covered with blood. He's going to trample out the grapes of wrath. He's going to destroy his enemy. And we have to deliver up the enemy at this time. Uh, chapter 61 said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart and to proclaim liberty to the captives and open up the prisons to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that are mourned. Minimum. The day of vengeance of our Lord. That's when we start preaching that. Now, it's time. This is the day of Lord. It's not going to be what a lot of people expect. They're thinking of a meek, mild Jesus. And this Jesus that we're preaching, he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. I have an article that I'm going to bring y'all Sunday from Cal Thomas. Uh, and I, you know, I don't follow Cal Thomas or whatever, but he has a, a article in which we have the f- former president, the one that's running for president again, promising for protection for the Christians to protect Christians from persecution. Mm-hmm. It, and as Cal Thomas, I don't know how you're reading that article, but it's showing that that's an antichrist statement there. Mm-hmm. No one protects you from persecution. The, the Christians wasn't protected from persecution. He said almost you're promised that persecution will come. If yes. they did it to the green tree, they're going to do it to the dry tree. Yes. yes. Like I said, you'd better watch the Christianity that you're following. Mm-hmm. Now, this article, I'm going to put it in your email from Cal Thomas or whatever, because this enmity goes there. No matter what you preaching and teaching, trying to wrap it up in bowls of nuggets, we can tell a deceiver, don't come promising us some sugar-coated thing. Mm, Important to us is the prediction that the Messiah would be the child of a woman and arguing from silence that his father would not be a man. So we know that Jesus' father wasn't a man, Mm, that he was born of God. He was of the Holy Spirit. He was the only begotten of God. The son was given. But he came as a man. That was the only way to get into the earth, to be legal in the earth. Satan is not legal in the earth. We're about to cast him out. We're about to trample him under our feet. So we see here, the apostle Paul writes of this prophecy fulfillment in Galatians 4 and 4. He says, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This is the fullness of time had came that Jesus has came now. It's been 2,000 years. Yes. Matthew 1, 24 through 25, Luke 2 and 7. All humanity has been born of a woman, and because of this fact, we all share this trait with our Savior. Like us, he was a human being. Like us, not like Satan. Notice Satan was in the earth. Satan is an illegal device. He's an illegal, malevolent force in the earth. But notice that he had went into a body. For inasmuch as the children have partaken in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we see one of the purpose of Jesus coming as a man, coming like us, coming in this, in this and it was to destroy death, him who had power, who had the power of death. That was Satan. Yes. So the, the, the redemption, the purchase price wasn't paid to Satan, mm-hmm. but he redeemed us from the power of death that we no longer fear death. Mm-hmm. He took that away from him. He got the victory from the grave. He, he, there's no sting in death. He took the victory away from the grave. Hebrew 2, 14 through 15. We go examine this for that another time. I'm running out of time on this. Genesis 3, 15. Many consider this verse to proto-evangelion. I've been trying all day to speak that word. Proto-evangelion. That is the first announcement of the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the promising of the redeemer. That's the first time because it's about God's word. And that's why I say the gospel, it promised this redeemer, the gospel, the good news that he was going to reconcile us. This is the first prophecy about the Messiah, that is Christ, who through his death on the cross and resurrection would ultimately defeat Satan, the power behind the serpent with a death blow. That's Isaiah 9 and 6, Matthew one twenty three. Luke one thirty one, Romans sixteen twenty, Galatians four four, Revelations twelve seventeen. He's going to defeat him. This was from the beginning. Ever since back then, when Satan deceived a woman, God promised her a redeemer. Yes, one to buy her back from this deceptive liar that lied about God's word because. That was when he became a murderer. You remember saying Satan was a murderer in the beginning? He killed Adam and Eve with words here. You, can, you don't have to physically kill someone. You can kill someone with words. Through his deception, he caused Adam and Eve's death. He was a murderer in the beginning. His lie caused their death. It's a many of people lie to one another or cause others' death and cause catastrophe. And we have a lying church. We have a lying politician. And no lie shall enter into the kingdom of God. No liars. Our body is not our body. We belong to another. First Corinthians 6 through 17, we're getting close here. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 to 21. 
But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinned against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It belongs to God. It's God's property. Our body is no longer our body. Since Jesus paid our redemption price, he is our only hope for our redemption. He's the only hope. And we belong to him. We are his. We are his purchased possession. It was his blood that paid for us. The Bible makes this plain when it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. Book of Acts, 4th chapter, the 12th verse. So anybody that's preaching salvation in any other gospel, any other God, or any other thing, Jesus says, I'm the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming unto the Father but by him. He's the only way. Jesus alone paid our redemption price. If a religion telling you about the mother and see his mother and all of these things, the assumption of mother and the nausea, all of these other things, don't listen. He wants you to know that you were bought with a price and he welcomes you to enjoy the privileges of being his brethren and co-heirs with him in the kingdom. He died to make you a co-heir. Not just friends, but a co-heir, co-inheritance yes. of all that yes. the Father has. Yes. Also, he calls you to commit to him since we are his by redemption, 1 Corinthians 6.20. The good news is that Jesus is our redeemer. He exists for our salvation. He longs to set the captives free, and that's freedom from the bondage of sin, the freedom from the world, the things of the world, the people in the world. Some people are in bondage to other people. Yes. People in bondage to food. People in bondage to the elements of the world. Some people in bondage to churches. For liberty, he had set us free. Mm-hmm. Some people tell you how you have to live your life, what you have to do every day. Yep. They're like the Pharisees. They made the Sabbath burdensome. That's why Jesus did a lot of what he did on the Sabbath because he was trying to say that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath and that they had a whole wrong take on the Sabbath. Yes. But you couldn't do away with the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath is holy. He is our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. So those that don't understand that in him you have rest and he wouldn't have spoken of another day if he had given them rest. But he says, yet my father doeth yet work. Yeah. So here talking to spiritual people, there's a redeeming effect to the Sabbath. There's a refreshing effect to the Sabbath. If you work every day and never rest, you go exhausted. You're not going to do as good at work. Mm-hmm. But if you rest at one and seven, You'll notice the difference. And remember that there will come a day of very soon when Jesus Christ comes back. So I have a good bit more to discuss about him being our redeemer and buying us back. And a redeemer has to have the ability to 
set you free. He was able, he has to be able to pay the ransom price. He also has to be willing. So those three points, I'm going to preach at another time or teach at another time. But we have to see that the Messiah redeemed us, anointed us, that we be his. And none that he saved will be lost and that he had chosen us from the foundations of the world for a purpose and a work. He had created us for good works. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time, Lord God, spent with